Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, the Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG. And I'm very pleased and honored today to be joined by Randy Gaborio, who is the CIO and Senior Vice President of Innovation and Strategic Development at Christiana Care Health Systems. Christiana Care is a not-for-profit healthcare system headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware. It employs nearly 12,000 people across an extensive network of outpatient services, home health care, medical aid units, and two major hospitals. Just this month, Forbes magazine ranked Christiana Care as the number one employer in Delaware in its inaugural list of America's best employers by state. Before he joined Christiana in 2010, Randy spent 12 years with Teleflex, a medical device provider, where he was the CIO, the senior VP, and the strategic development officer. His CIO experience in other high-reliability industries spans aviation, manufacturing, and automotive. Since 2015, he has also served on the adjunct faculty at Dartmouth College's School of Medicine, and for the past eight years, he has chaired the nation's first and most advanced health information exchange, the Delaware Health Information Network. Randy is a four-time winner of our annual CIO 100 Innovation Awards, and next month, we're going to induct him into our CIO Hall of Fame. I once referred to him in a CIO magazine editorial as one of those exceedingly rare triple threat CIOs. He is equally talented at leading and managing, problem solving, and driving revenue. Welcome. Thank you, we Mary have, Fran. We have the very impressive Mr. Gaborial oh, today. Thank you. You're too kind. Well, it's, uh, it's always a delight talking with you, and uh, there has been uh, such a huge volume of interviews and uh, things that people have been talking about to you over the years, and it's just so it's great to have you here in person. Thank you um, to you and your team for having me. Our pleasure. Now, uh, one of the things I noticed when I was uh, doing a little research for our conversation today, that Christiana Cares, the way the company describes itself in that, you know, that, that, that template that you use and you see it in all the press releases, it refers to itself using a reference to its unique data-powered care coordination services and also a mission of shaping the future of healthcare, which you get the impression that IT and technology has a great deal to do with that. And let's talk a little bit about what that means, that data-powered care, and how you see the future of healthcare being shaped by all the disruption in technology today. Well, let's actually start out with a really interesting point where you talk about just the word disruption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the sort of the framing of disruption, right, it's a term that we're using everywhere. Yes. Um, and so I, I tend to sort of think about disruption in a way that is um, – how prepared are you for changes that are coming? Uh, and we mm -hmm. sort of try to think about using, say, innovation as a way to immunize ourselves against disruption. Now, there's no foolproof way to insulate yourself from all, all changes, but we really try to understand and forecast what, what does the future look like. Yeah. And that comes right into this concept of data-powered healthcare. Mm -hmm. So back in 2012, <coughs> um, we began with sort of a seed concept mm -hmm. of this, this challenge with a particular population of patients. Mm -hmm. Patients that experienced a cardiac event mm -hmm. were discharged into the home setting, but a particular segment of those people in that broad category, uh, a fair number were returning within seven days uh, post-discharge, okay. and something around the number of 
were back in the hospital within 365 days. So we, we pondered that question That's along with our heavy data, right? Pretty there, heavy data. Yeah. And so along with our clinical <clears throat> partners, we sort of posed this this thesis of like, there should be enough information out there for us to be able to begin to sort of understand or predict who might those people be and can we figure out before they show up at the emergency room door, can we figure out who they might be before that? Can we get upstream? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we began a journey at that time to sort of build the capability to sort of beginning caring for people under that model. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've had some great results out of that. Um, and one of, I think one of the interesting outcomes here is our ability to sort of understand and predict who is at the highest risk uh, for returning and, the, and then taking an appropriate sort of intervention and an intervention that actually could improve care, mm-hmm. drive better outcomes, and potentially reduce the cost of care for those patients. Because when you show up at the emergency room, that's the highest cost venue for care. That's right. So, that's right, urgent care. So, yeah. when we, um, so when we did that work, what we discovered uh, is those people that were at the highest risk, we determined in that case to send a home health nurse out uh, X number of days post-discharge and, mm-hmm. a, and a couple of days before that risk period before they showed up. And we determined that some of those patients were retaining fluid. So we sent the home health nurse out to basically uh, introduce the therapeutic of a diuretic to help rid the people of fluid. Mm-hmm. And interestingly now, we're sort of on a second generation of that. Now at the time of discharge, that, that we do a daily dynamic risk score on these patients. And at the point of discharge, we actually send them home with a diuretic now, mm-hmm. and we are to, they're, they're told because they enter a sort of a care management platform, and basically it's you know break this open in the event uh, uh, that we tell you break the glass in case of emergency. Yeah. So we've 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 been able to actually reduce the cost of care, and we've improved the outcome uh, mm-hmm. in that scenario, and that's really the sort of this thesis of data powered healthcare. Yes. Well, and that it's not something that the IT group is doing all by itself. It's not, yeah. so how do you, what is the structure that you use to get this information back and forth with the caregivers, the nurses, the doctors, the administrators of the hospital? So there, there's a bucket of data um, mm-hmm. that exists and there's a, sort of this bucket one, which is sort of all the data. It's probably the biggest a, bucket in any organization, Well, it, isn't it, it? It's, it's, yeah. it's a great point. And in this particular bucket, there's a whole sort of set of ingredients that go in from a data perspective mm-hmm. that today's American healthcare system sort of has controlled, if you will. Like we order the test, you know, the diagnostic, the therapeutic, the imaging study, mm-hmm. and the like. So a lot of it is first this collection of the data that we create, mm-hmm. and that is data... Um, that you know that we've captured we can bring in but then there's this sort of this next generation of complexity of data that when you think about healthcare right the venue of care we 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 do these things in our world we order the test when you're in the hospital or in our settings or mm-hmm. we send you out to a, a place a, a, an imaging lab to get this work done but then you have this concept now of where you need to actually gather data that is being generated outside the four walls of the hospital ah, okay. and so it's actually caused for for us to sort of rethink moving from a data producer to really a data consumer. So I, I, we had to think about building a really a, a, a reversal of the information supply chain. Mm-hmm. So how do we begin to bring data in from the outside world where you live right. in the community setting when you are suffering from chronic disease or you're that post-acute patient from that cardiac mm-hmm. incident? 
Um, and so how do, we, how do we build that structure? So it requires clinical data that we create, data from the home setting, and mm -hmm. we also engage in something, a technology called the Health Information Exchange in, right. in, uh, in, in states here in Massachusetts and in Delaware and other states. It's an ability to sort of connect data that is from the ambulatory settings and the labs. It's really the mm -hmm. concept of, it's the patient's story lives across these different sort of venues of care. So it's about bringing that data together to be able to then do the prediction work. Well, and it's, it's obviously very important that it's both structured and unstructured data. And of course, with uh, it must be made a lot easier today by that little supercomputer we have in our hands. I think of now, you know, you go to the doctor and you get some tests done, and later in the day, you can look on your mobile app. Most healthcare organizations, I know in the Boston area, that's certainly true. You can basically go in and see your test results, which may or may not help you because you may not know what the numbers mean. But um, that uh, the idea of exchange of data and the ability to see all your stuff. That ability. Interestingly, mm -hmm. that um, there's an element to that, which is also this overarching sort of narrative around consumer-driven everything in our yes. world, yes. and really meeting people um, with the information uh, in the, in the way that they want to receive information. Meeting the customer so, where they live. Exactly. Right. Meeting the customer. Mm -hmm. So we talk about your your ability to hop on that app or the or the portal of your mm -hmm. provider yeah. to be able to supply that information. And now, where Apple is in this world now where yes. you can actually have your health records really actually digitally loaded directly onto that asset that you're carrying yes. as well. So what it does, it really creates a, a sort of a, a, a vector of a way of connecting with, with mm -hmm. the people that you serve. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, it now really becomes the most important vector of care mm -hmm. because it's always with you versus on, when you think about today, for example, for diabetic care, mm -hmm. for diabetes, the standard of care is every 90 days your hemoglobin A1C is checked, you show up at the office, the yeah. clinician has a conversation with you, Mary Fran, you're not keeping up with mm -hmm. your regimen. Did you eat a cupcake uh, before exactly. you came in here? So, yeah. we, so mm -hmm. we see this thesis around of actually being able to improve the connectivity of care and the quality of care through mm -hmm. this thesis we call high tech, high touch. Yes. So if every 90 days you're seeing, you know, your clinician for diabetes, um, imagine, you know, an IoT-based connected device that's connected to basically a surveilling algorithm, if you will, that's paying attention to your, your, mm -hmm. your diagnostics. And then that can connect you real time to somebody who's a coach for you that says, we've seen that there's a spike in your blood glucose. Yeah. Um, how can we help? What's going on, Mary Fran? And so that really means the venue of care shifts from sort of the, the from real estate, physical real estate, to actually the real estate that's on the screen in front of you. Yes. Well, and that it gets into. Um uh, what I've heard, it gets referred to very broadly as virtual care. And, you know, that movement of the relationship between the physical and the real estate and how, and you told me one uh, really kind of shocking thing that 35% of patient admissions that you have today in hospitals will be completely gone in five years. And that's a big revenue impact as well. So when you look at issues like that, uh, what is the thinking at Christiana Care, and how do you kind of enter into discussions thinking about? So part of that also goes along with, in healthcare, we're changing both the clinical delivery model mm -hmm. and how that is shifting from inpatient where, you know, our relationship with people have been when you are sick and in need, mm -hmm. cross our threshold, and we have an amazing infrastructure yes. to repair you. Mm -hmm. um, but where we haven't in America sort of solved a lot of the problems is really is the epidemic around the chronic disease state. Yeah. And approximately 81% of the beds 
of, of inpatient facilities across America are filled with people who are suffering from um, comorbid conditions associated with chronic disease, complexity mm-hmm. in that way. So, so we talk about sort of um, this concept of, of, of inpatient admissions going away. But that's, that needs to be wrapped with what we're calling a commerce framework change in healthcare. So uh-huh. instead of paying for, paying, you know, effectively the revenue model in healthcare today or the reimbursement system is, mm-hmm. you show up, we help get you re- rehabilitated, mm-hmm. you know, back, restore your function, get you better, uh, and return you back into the community, and healthcare systems are reimbursed for that. The model in the future mm-hmm. moves to one where it's really around healthcare systems behaving more like the insurance industry, where we actually own the risk on a population of patients. So it's the wellness approach. The, uh, wellness the approach. way in, in uh, car insurance companies will reward points for you know better drivers, that sort of thing. Spot on, exactly. Yep. So mm-hmm. marrying those two together create this multi-dimensional approach to the change of healthcare. But marrying the two is very challenging. Mm-hmm. Of sort of changing the model because when you change the model, it means changing behaviors, changing the operating model, changing the way uh, people have consumed information in the past, changing the way mm-hmm. people are expected to use information. It's a you know it's a complete transformation, if you will, of the system, um, and mm-hmm. it's uh, you know and it's one that technology is central to. So when yeah. you walk into our our IT uh, building. We have, um, my team has been gracious enough to sort of put together, there's a quote that I have, and it says uh, basically that there's not one goal, not one objective, not one target, not one answer, not one sort of destination in the future of healthcare that will not be enabled through technology. Mm-hmm. And that's central. Technology will shape what healthcare will look like. Well, and um, I like the way, too, you've got another uh, quote that I've seen um, attributed to you is about positioning your IT group so that they self-identify as those strategic enablers. Now that didn't happen overnight. How did you how did you get to that point where you they really started the IT people really didn't see themselves anymore as like the electronic health record people and somebody that were apart from the whole system. And you've been at uh, Christiana Care for over nine years now, so you've got longevity on your side there. In fact, you've got twice the average tenure of a CIO, uh, according to our state of the CIO research. So you're doing something right. Um, and how, do you, how did you get uh, the IT group on board to become those strategic enablers? What kind of things as a leader do you do? Yeah, well, well, part of that, there's, a, there's the connecting to the mission of the work that, that, uh, we, that we do. Yes. And so, and we also, you know, we, we call our technology folks, they're caregivers behind the caregivers. They may not lay hands directly on the patients, mm-hmm. but if you walk into any care setting, they're, they're using technology. And that technology is powered by the caregivers behind the caregivers. So yes. caregivers are the first line caregivers, mm-hmm. whether they're administering medications, mm-hmm. whether, it's a, whether it's even a ventilator. I mean, those ventilators mm. are powered by technology, and they every asset that's deployed to it actually has an IP address. Yes, on, on, on of course. Them. So yeah. you sort of think about that transformation there. But um, you know, there's actually a couple of signals that you can even leverage when you actually look at the type of relationship that the IT function has with the business. The, 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 we'll call it sort of the different areas, clinical or operational areas of of sort of the rest of the business. Mm-hmm. The, there's a demand signal, which is we need you. We are trying to drive our strategy, and inherently we need IT at the table to do that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the IT folks, where where in a way in the past, right, they would respond to demand. 
they now live at that t- at a, you know at the proverbial sort of table where they're actually helping strategy shape mm-hmm. what the future looks like. So um, helping people kind of understand that, connecting to the work, the vision, and that that they're that what they do is an enabler helps them connect to that work and shift mm-hmm. and that they are really effectively caregivers behind the caregivers. Well, and it's reminiscent, too, of the way that IT uh, CIOs and their IT groups used to be an afterthought in mergers and acquisitions. And today it is the rare organization that doesn't get the fact that they need the CIO at the table when all the discussions are going on. Now, you've been involved in something like $5 billion worth of mergers and acquisitions over the... Have you seen that happen yourself, that that move to bringing uh, the CIO into the table earlier? Yeah, I was fortunate, um, having gone through a number of M&A transactions, both size, uh, sell side and the, and the buy side mm-hmm. transactions. And, you know, First, you know, interestingly, there's there's a, there's an element where I think leaders of an organization can get on board. First is, um, you know, when you're in the world of doing diligence uh, mm-hmm. on a uh, you know on a on a potential target, and you know, there's this sort of this this universal truth that I discovered in doing that work, and that uh, it's such that when you do diligence, you're doing diligence as an outsider, right? It's the information that's been been mm-hmm. provided to you. Um, but when you get to that day of closing and the keys are turned over to you, um, you get inside the building, if you will, proverbially, like buying a house, and you really discover, you know, boy, I thought the windows measured X and they measure yeah. Y, and the curtains are really going to have to be a different, you know, a different yeah. length than we anticipated. And around that, what I've discovered is really about 60% of the assumptions that you make doing diligence from the outside mm-hmm. really are imperfect. <laughs> right. And and but the challenge is. You still have to make a commitment in terms of, of synergies that you can bring to mm-hmm. the table, um, and you're obliged to still deliver those synergies. So, um, so that's key. And the second piece to that is I think um, CEOs recognize there's some that want a, a number of day one things to happen, right? And day one, T minus the acquisition, once the keys are turned yeah. over, they want to see certain things like a unified email platform, if you will. A and very be able to fast communi- onboarding yeah, for new employees, very much all to communicate. that kind of things. Yes. Um, but I think this third aspect is the integration, because uh. there's also customer risk, right, that, that people fear mm-hmm. no disruption to uh, the value chain. Um, and, and that takes IT to be able to sort of connect information together. Sure. So we always took the approach uh, in a prior role, right, where we spent sort of the first 12 months connecting the back end of the organizations together. Mm-hmm. And then we spent the second 12 months, uh, if you were, or chapter two of the story, was about connecting the front end, the things that touch the customer mm-hmm. directly. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, CEOs, I think, that understand that and get that realization and also that need to unlock the value, right? There's doing the transaction and then there's delivering the value that you committed to. Right. And they can't get there without having great technology partners. Do you think today that the Chapter 2 might come first again, where you do the initial connection up front while you're maybe simultaneous while you're working on the back end integration? I don't, you know, know how, I don't know how possible that is. I made it sound like it's a snap. I'm going to bet that there's, there's organizations out there that have mastered of how to do that, yeah. um, to connect both mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. And part of it may, depending on the back-end type of systems and the risks associated with those. Yep. So living in a world where you know we're dealing with human beings mm-hmm. um, and incredibly high risk and ensuring that uh, you need to have high reliability performing systems, yes. electronic yeah. health records. Um, so we're really really thoughtful in that approach in mm-hmm. how we do that. So we make sure that stuff is done right mm-hmm. uh, before moving on to sort of ch- any any chapter two. Okay. The um, 
When I think I always ask about customer expectations and in your case, patient expectations in healthcare. And let me challenge you on that one as you're framing oh, that question, right. which mm -hmm. is actually that they are really, the customers. We are now? rethinking. Is it really? It's it is consumer driven. So mm -hmm. so it, in frame, framing framing your question that way around consumer expectations yeah. and how what they get delivered from Amazon and Apple and Facebook, how that how you're seeing that change and impact things in healthcare as a CIO. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it actually feels, in a lot of ways, obvious in so much as you look at everything else that we do in our lives yeah. is, is done with this technology platform. The challenge is that when you walk into healthcare today, you, uh, historically you put your device down. And it's not a participant mm -hmm. in your healthcare. So now Great point. today you know, mm -hmm. we've deployed the portal and apps for you to be able to interact. And now what's really it's about building is actually taking the care pathway and moving the care pathway. Mm -hmm. So you think about that care pathway. What is it like to be that cardiac patient that's discharged? What is it like to be a diabetic? What's it like to be a COPD patient? Mm -hmm. And then how do you actually rebuild or refashion care that's been traditionally done through physical assets yep. and rebuilding it in a digital fashion? So think mm. of this. So I, I frame out this sort of concept. Think about today in the world of manufacturing where I came from. Mm -hmm. We have a bill of materials. And uh, you know, uh, uh, raw raw materials move through work centers, inventory control, yep, and, and all they that have sort value of thing. added, mm -hmm. and they go from basically a raw <coughs> material to a finished good. So in healthcare, as we're rebuilding what has been a physical supply chain to build everything digitally, so I, I, I put mm -hmm. forward this sort of the concept that everything that can be packaged digitally will be packaged digitally. Mm -hmm. So. So think about this concept of, of elements that were done in historically or still today that are done sort of a, in, under a physical model. The bill of materials is moving digitally, and as they move to be done digitally, sort of think about the care interaction. Instead of going to the doctor's office, you do a virtualized visit. Mm -hmm. What happens is that work that was maybe owned by an operating leader actually now shifts to having a digital bill of materials. So more and more of the physical components that were, that were bill of materials will move over time to a larger component of the total delivery of care will be digital bill of materials. Mm -hmm. And that's a fundamental change because the CIO then becomes often the owner of those processes. So how do you then think about building competitively differentiated processes that are, that are basically valued by the consumer in healthcare that matches them where they are in a new digitalized supply chain to deliver those things to people. Where well, and the more digital the supply chain, especially in healthcare and a few other industries like defense, the more the cybersecurity risks also start to rise. So the uh, do you how is that set up at Christiana Care? Do you own IT security along with all those others? You have so many hats, it's hard to keep track. <laughs> yes, so so IT security mm -hmm. is part of the, the, the function that, that reports into me. Mm -hmm. I think what's really a couple of elements that are important here for us, one of which is when we approach security, it's about, as we think about the future, it's security is at the table instead of an afterthought. It's built in from the Great. core. Mm -hmm. So, you, I mean, you, you, you harden your thought processes with hardened security in that way. Mm -hmm. 
there's uh, then there's this realization, obviously, as you think about as the venue of care shifts, and we build that reversal mm -hmm. of the information supply chain, that we're going to have to gather data from the patient setting and consume it, right? Mary mm -hmm. Fran, you're generating the number of steps you've walked or the temperature of your, of mm -hmm. your, your body temperature, how many times you've gotten up and down today, yeah. um, all these other factors and other diagnostics that we can measure on you basically with, you know, small diagnostic devices today produced by the world's largest medical device companies. Yeah. So as you think about integrating all that information, um, we think about that from the standpoint of how do you gather it securely, reliably? Mm -hmm. How do you establish provenance around that information yeah. to know where it's sourced? Because it's know? hard to imagine anything more personal in your data. And yeah. yes, as well, mm -hmm. and, that, and giving patients that granularity of control mm -hmm. about what information they share, and that will always be the case in healthcare, which is mm -hmm. patients own their data, yeah. and they have to have the right to control that information in a, gran mm -hmm. in a granular way. So we build all that and design that ground up, um, which I think is probably a shift from the, you know, sort of the, an era in the past, which is security has been about defending the borders. Yeah. And now security is really about baking, baking it in from, from the outset mm -hmm. and protecting and respecting that data for what it is. Well, and when we think of um, the changing consumer and patient expectations in healthcare, um, you had a great story about seeing the generational divide between, you know, the baby boomers, my people, the baby boomers, and then there's yours, the Gen Xers, and then we have millennials and the younger uh, around there. And tell that story, because it involved your boss, and those yeah. are always great stories. Yeah, so, uh, <coughs> you know, we have an amazing CEO, Dr. Janice Nevin, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as, we, as we were strategizing and thinking about um, you know, we're going through a strategy planning work, and you know we, we get ourselves out about eight years in front of where we are, mm -hmm. and enough it gets us out enough to sort of get off road. People sort of can unmoor themselves from today's world, and then we work our way backwards in that thinking from a strategy planning. Think about, mm -hmm. boy, if we need to be capable of X in three, four, five years, you know, you then have to start backing up and thinking about it. Now we we're going through sort of that strategy planning mm -hmm. cycle work, and you know, thinking about how will the shift to virtual take place. Um, and Janice and her daughter um, were, were in the car together, and Janice tells a story uh, that, um, that there was a, a billboard, and one of these billboards, it talks about emergency room weights. Mm -hmm. And it says, you know, emergency room X for the hospital down the road has a, you know XYZ weight of 32 minutes to, uh, in, the, in the emergency room. The way and you'd see traffic signs on the highway. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. These billboards, and it'll have that mm -hmm. digi the, the LED, digitized, digi yeah, digitized, digitized element thing. to give uh -huh. the count. Um, and interesting, uh, you know, Janice's millennial daughter turns to her and says, why on earth would you advertise that you have to wait? And there and it, you go. Boom. It became sort <laughs> of this, this, you know, sort of this, you know, um, full circle, you know, enlightenment moment. And mm -hmm. it's this that realization that the the nature with which we're going to be competing, if you will, in the future mm -hmm. is really on glass. Mm -hmm. the screen in front of you, and less about the real estate. But the yeah. magic, the power comes in, the connection between the glass and the physical nature, mm -hmm. which is, in say, for example, in virtual care, which is Mary Fran, wow, it's great to see virtually. I don't like the sound of the cough, which means mm. we want to get hands on you, or we, or we think mm -hmm. it deems that it's relevant to choose wisely and have an imaging study done. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where the magic lies in. And all of this comes back to that sort of key question around the consumer mm -hmm. and digital in healthcare to create um, what we'll call sort of this frictionless model of healthcare. And this is where we have thought about 
the issues around consumer and convenience. Yes. Well, and um, when you think about uh, so much innovation is built into everything you've been saying up until now, and I think that your approach to innovation is has got multiple pieces to it, and I'll bet it's changed a good deal in the last nine years. So between when you arrived at Christiana, uh, 2010, and then now, how has your approach to uh, essentially funneling your IT group into various innovation areas, how has it changed? What uh, What's different today? Well, I think first, um, as you as you think about the, the, the connection to innovation, mm-hmm. it needs to really be connected to, as we think about kind of the, 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 the how we forecast potential futures, mm-hmm. what the future may look like. And we don't try to predict the future. We try to really forecast what various futures may look like mm-hmm. um, in that work. So I, I think early on in my world of innovation, you were more technology-focused, um, and much more today it's really about this sort of, instead of um, thinking about it from the supplier, the production function of be able to sort of like take a technology and deploy it, mm-hmm. we focus much more around sort of, I think, the consumption function around how can these technologies create value, mm. but more in a demand-pulled perspective. So it might have been in the past where we created uh, an interesting sort of use case that mm. might have been connected to something that wasn't necessarily a problem. No. Well, yeah, I often hear that referred to like a te- uh, the, there'll be a, especially a newer, more emerging technology. I've heard blockchain referred to this way, that it's a technology in search of a problem. But it, it, it's probably a lot more than that. It's probably a more sophisticated approach to it. Um, but you had mentioned doing innovation with intent. Yeah, so, this, and, I think, yeah. Yeah. so building on that, the, yeah. it, it is this innovation with intent and it's, uh, it, it is about creating solutions. Where, where does friction live? So let's, for mm-hmm. example, you know, we have this sort of thing. We've declared a war on inconvenience, and we think about you know, healthcare and this concept of how do you, how do you generate radical convenience. Mm-hmm. But then so think about from an innovation perspective the problem sets that we need to solve. So we have three vectors or three arms of innovation okay. um, that we focus on. And what's first important is that these are not laboratories producing something that doesn't have a, a problem. It starts with a demand a demand thesis. So it's not this. an R&D sandbox where somebody's playing so, with the latest AI. So I'll say there is an <gasps> element. There's a oh. piece of that. So so we have to, mm-hmm. we have to have a, a piece <clears throat> where there's an entry point for technologies to sort of think about some okay. bold forward-looking cases. Uh, and that's and that's a piece. And that capability is important. But if you ran a bunch of technology, that's ultimately not sustainable because things have to get integrated back in. It can't mm-hmm. be just a, an area that builds prototypes that, can, that never go anywhere. Right. So we have an innovation arm that focuses first on, as you think about the core systems of record that mm-hmm. all CIOs have accountability for running. Um, you know, there's the gaps. part of the iceberg that's yes, under the water. Exactly. Yeah. And there's gaps yeah. that live when you think about those competitively differentiating processes that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, in those, how do, you, how do you optimize each of those areas? And there's gaps when you think about going system to system. So we have a team that focuses on closing those gaps. Mm. And we call that, we sort of... Um, Casually call that team kind of a gaplications group. I think uh, that's very cute, well. actually. <laughs> and then we have a, uh, a group that focuses on those systems, if you will, uh, those strategic partner systems that we call the sort of the scaffolding mm-hmm. of the organization that we really that we build. And these are the ones that help us produce 
sort of the, the, the products that we produce, which are clinical outcomes and helping people return to health. Mm-hmm. And so that second arm focuses on those partners, those large systems, the big sort of brand It's doing proofs of concepts and pilots and that sort of thing. Yeah, in a way, yeah. it's it, it's helping get us outside. I think, you know, take, for example, if you take your, uh, you know, an ERP vendor, if you will, a cloud-based ERP vendor, mm-hmm. and the team that supports that might have a list of 200 or 300 things on their list that they have to get done, our internal team. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, we got to deploy a field here, we need a change made here. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is rise above that to really look at those assets and those partnerships in a strategic way to say, for example, um, we uh, have 600 vacancies you know, in mm-hmm. our organization. How can our human capital management partner help us think about those vacancies in a particular, in a different way, in mm. a way that they may not have solved yet. And so maybe it's unique to healthcare. Maybe it's unique to healthcare services. Maybe hmm. there's certain ways to uncover yeah. information there. Maybe there's a way to build a tool set. So it's about coming together because we also realize the era of doing things yourself is over. Right. And so it's that ability Why would move, you? Right? Why would yeah. you? So why you would you? Moving further, moving faster with, mm-hmm. with, with others. So, so that work is that, that team that focuses on those partners to extract a different level of value and co-create mm-hmm. together. Is that also the way, do you handle your vendor management, like your vendor management office through that group, or is that just a whole separate function? We have, we have a separate VMO function okay. um, that, mm-hmm. that, that works, but there is deep integration because you're having to craft actually partnership relationships that aren't typical Again, with it with an end user license agreement right, or right. some other. So mm. we've actually had to produce agreements that are really about IP monetization scenarios. Like how do you how do you capitalize on that? Yeah. And we've had to then establish governance around those to determine with those partners when you do that work, mm-hmm. how do you want to hand how do you want to handle it? Yeah. Um, and that requires actually a very you know a, a very close partnership with your legal counterparts mm-hmm. to do that work. Right? We can't our v, our vendor management teams don't pull that off alone. IT right. innovation we don't pull it off alone. Mm-hmm. So it, you know it involves having a great partner. And then sort of coming back to the third arm, Mary Fran of on 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 innovation is this third piece that we call sort of the applied innovation group where we kind of focus on clinical type innovation work in the context of business model innovation. Mm-hmm. And in that case, for example, it's working with, say, uh, you know, brand name medical device manufacturers okay. around um, participating and taking risk on an outcome with patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just, you know, um, you know, oh, you know, we'll, you'll save 5%. This is about real meaningful outcome about uh, mm. you know producing the outcome and taking real risk associated with sort of the clinical claims that come behind their products. Yeah. Do you okay. have an example of this in say so, in the last year or so yeah. where So say, say mm. for example if you were to take a particular disease state. Let's just say for example you had a, a, a population of patients with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And you could take a particular asset and you could put that asset like an IoT device on somebody. Okay. Um, or a particular glucometer. And if you were standing behind your building, you build the care process, the care processes, the care pathways, you digitize, you determine where there's information that's generated, where mm-hmm. does information need to be consumed, whose workflow does it sit in, you build the whole architecture behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think, okay, well, that's great. We believe that you can achieve a particular outcome, high tech, high touch, better than every 90 days with a diabetic, if you built a different model. And if mm. you do that, but if you don't get that outcome based on everything that you've built and using that technology, maybe you don't pay for that outcome. Oh, okay. Uh, or maybe a patient 
isn't accountable for paying for a co for a copayment or something along those lines mm -hmm. if an outcome isn't derived. But it mm -hmm. means it means something really different. It's about taking your supply chain, your value chain partners that help you produce an outcome, mm -hmm. and it's having them share in the same risk that you are basically shifting to under a new model of commerce and healthcare. Interesting, interesting. I also wanted to ask you about because I mentioned blockchain, and I'm. For the last year and a half to two years, I've been asking every CIO I run into, are you doing anything with blockchain? You know, what's in it? And I've heard, uh, I'm starting to hear some interesting stories come out of it. Like there's a, a CIO of um, a food company out in California, and they're tracking, they're using blockchain to track from the moment they pull a fish out of the ocean to when it gets to a restaurant table. And I heard another one um, with Christie's, the auction house in New York, where they, you know, were, uh, they used blockchain blockchain to track an entire collection that one of the uber-rich art patrons had, had bought. Is there anything you've done with it so far that's out in the real world or anything that you think holds a lot of promise? Well, I think as you think about this sort of this concept in each of those examples, the immutable record that's, yes. that, that's produced. And there the are the record everybody that, trusts. There too. are records, and, mm -hmm. and right, and I think that right, this that value add for for blockchain is this where parties distrust each other, where you mm. have mechanisms today. Some of the use cases that that uh, that have been generated so far are ones where it's kind of replacing an existing system, but the parties generally trust each other today. Okay. So here are some great use case examples in healthcare. Think about. Um, this concept of pre-approval on a, on a patient, like we need XYZ done, you gotta go to the insurance and get mm -hmm. the pre-approval. So you know, imagine the model whereby you, you've you taken sort of the transaction of everything that's sort of been done through the EHR from the interventions in the patient, and if that meets sort of a defined clinical standard mm -hmm. that meets for basically uh, an approval, if you will, so you reach the point, say we've done A, B, C, D, it's immutable, right? They can be, it's, it's real time, it can be audited in such a way that pre-approval is already delivered by the time the patient reaches that next stage. And maybe ah. it's a patient that needs to undergo a chemotherapy treatment, and maybe instead of waiting mm -hmm. X number of days, you've demonstrated all those things. And without sort of having to assemble the the, the paperwork Bible, if you will. <laughs> the that, wrestling that, match with yeah. the insurance company. In, in yeah. a way. So there mm -hmm. are real opportunities to do that. And what we want to do is focus mm -hmm. on how do you build those in a way that really creates value for the participants, starting mm -hmm. with the patient who's vulnerable at this point in their life where they yeah. need help, and then how do you then align all the other sort of vectors needed to get that mm -hmm. delivered for how people? How do you streamline, essentially, streamline a process? Yeah. So there's a lot of great examples. There's everything mm -hmm. from credentialing in the healthcare industry to others mm -hmm. that will be transformed via blockchain. Yeah, but you're not, it's not, it is, that is the future that we'll bring to today, but it's not the today. It's, we're not so, really there yet. Yeah, I think there's a lot of experimental models happening okay. um, that, that are there. You know, and th the healthcare industry, there there is a um, sort of this, this pace because of the work that we do and mm -hmm. that we are a high reliability industry that we really figure out how to reduce sort of uh, what becomes sort of the tolerable sort of things before you can sort of go live with something right, uh, right. at that rate. So it's a very thoughtful and a very data-driven industry. Yeah, 
Well, and that's that's actually very reassuring. It's like when I hear uh, uh, CIOs of banks talk about how carefully they're proceeding with something. You think, well, good. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're you're in charge of financial health in this case. Not you know, dissimilar. Physical health. Yes, exactly. I want to segue into talking a little bit about your. Uh, your triple threat role, your expanded role in strategy and in digital transformation and in all the other IT stuff, um, as you're the you're essentially the chief digital officer. So you have that role where you're busy transforming the business going forward. You also have a strategy team and a strategic role, and then you have that whole co-innovation venture partnership area. Talk about how you balance those and how you do all that plus a CIO job as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, first, and, and this it may, it may sound trite, but right, you have to have great people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, and part of that ability to replicate myself yes. is the ability to, is is only accomplished by having great people that um, that are there with you. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, you know, part of the, the the as you sort of look to where I mean, you know, every industry is moving through through change, and as you think about as we move in from a, from a healthcare perspective. A lot of where we're going, right? There's no playbook that we can pull off a shelf and say, "This is what you got to do." So no. that connects. So as we, as we as we cultivate sort of those strategic forecasts of what futures look like, mm-hmm. and then what becomes competitively differentiated for us and how we create value and reach. And that mm-hmm. means for us, like you know, competitively differentiated in our world means how can we actually help people, re, you know, uh, accomplish a restoration of function faster than everybody else. Mm-hmm. How can we actually move faster from sort of symptom to diagnosis for you faster? And those become really important. So I call them competitive, but they're all really important value-added things for when you're in that point in your life when you need help. So so part of that is spending my time and understanding strategically what is the world going to look like. But because those futures don't exist mm-hmm. necessarily and with a playbook or what we know and the technologies may not exist, that's where the innovation piece comes in. Okay. So we're making bets and trying to sort of um, have some experience or some capability around what those future tools will need to be. Mm-hmm. And then all of them are delivered and operationally supported from a technology perspective. Okay. So the three actually really dovetail quite nicely together, and it makes it, it makes total sense, and I think it allows us to move faster as an organization mm-hmm. that we have the integration between the three. Okay. Well, I have a one of our rare occurrences. We're open on, of course, we're doing this live on Twitter, and we have a question that came in for you. And I don't, it, this may play into the work you do with the medical school at Dartmouth, but it, it basically it's asking about your knowledge on tissue engineering and its applications at the hospital. Is there a data role in there? Is there um, an IT role? So the, there, there is a technology and platform run that does tissue analytics. Okay. Um, and there are things that are done by um, some, some of the um, clinical domain groups, um, things like that around cancer and things like that mm-hmm. that do tissue work. So there is a role for that, and there mm-hmm. are tissue samples that, that play a role. I think what really becomes important as you think about the marrying of genomics sociodemographic information mm-hmm. and the information that sits in an electronic health record about you 
uh, as well. The combination of those things together begin to charter what the future of healthcare looks like. And that any added data that you can bring in, whether it's tissue sample data or anything like that, mm-hmm. will continue to serve the public good about about the ecosystem getting smarter. Yes. So, and there's this deep complexity. You know, the amount of knowledge that's generated from a healthcare perspective, there's roughly about a nine hundred thousand to a million or so peer-reviewed articles that, that are expected to be generated this year. Wow. And that has been, if I'm if I'm recollecting properly, roughly about uh, say about every five years, almost a doubling of that number. And wow. there's some crazy mm-hmm. stat that uh, that that I read that says something around if you graduated medical school today and started to read like two peer-reviewed articles per night, it would take you about 1,250 years to (laughs) catch up. So you couple that then with the complexity of a patient moving through a healthcare system and all the knowledge that's being generated, the only way that we're going to be able to, to bring the knowledge basically to ride along with the clinicians is going about bringing the analytically assisted information to every decision yes. and allowing the clinician, the care team, the care team plus the family, the care team plus the family and the patient mm-hmm. to all come together to make a decision based on all the available information. And a partner in that information set will mm-hmm. be the analytic component, the algorithm that moves alongside. Yeah. Well, and in some cases, it may be driving the decision for everybody. Uh, because of the information that it, it, it essentially brings you. Um, the um, We talked a little bit briefly about specifics on key projects in different areas, and you summed it up very nicely that the four themes you have governing all of the work you're doing is consumer, digital, AI, and cloud. And we've touched on a lot of these, but not said a lot about AI. And you have, uh, today we seem to act like we all of a sudden discovered AI. It's very, it's everywhere in the media, business media, and in tech media, when in reality it's been around for 20 plus years. And you've been doing things with AI um, data and devices since 2014, yes? 2013, actually, 2013. Yes. We kicked okay. off in 2012. Yes. Um, and yes, so, uh, and, and for us, it was starting to connect these, you know, those data points to be able to do a predictor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you, this is a really interesting learning lesson for me in, in this, was when we began this first initial um, sort of this, this, this desire to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we started out and we had sort of our clinical research partners we're also going to sort of at the same time try to figure out if they could make a prediction, which would have been sort of the traditional way sure. to, to do that. And what was interesting is our clinical partners, they, they sat down and they, uh, the clinical researchers, and they said, okay, what variables do we want to include in our study? And this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to pick a set of variables. From an, from an AI perspective, we didn't pick a set of variables. We just said, let's vacuum in all the data we have. That's right. I've, yeah. And what was interesting is, is it was this realization of this sort of this fundamental flaw because when you begin the question, you're already isolating yourself to a limited sample of potential variables. Mm-hmm. And AI completely blows that out of the water, and it allows you to vacuum in effectively what's your limit? Storage, processing power, right? right? And if I can buy elastic computing and put stuff in the cloud – 
it's really your only limit is effectively is your ability to maybe gather the data mm-hmm. uh, in, in some way. Yep. So uh, I believe this is going to be so fundamentally different that the healthcare that we are experiencing not too far off in the future, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years out, the way analytics will be engaged and partnering, mm-hmm. uh, we will have analytically assisted everything, not just clinical workflows, but operational workflows. Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere. And it'll be on a device and it will tell us in the workflow, here's how to optimize what you're doing today. Right. And delivering those insights. Yeah. I had a a very similar conversation with uh, the CIO of the Broad Institute with Bill Mayo. You probably know Bill. And he made that same point that the way you used to like, you know, gather your data and go about, he says it's all reverse now. It's where you just like you do, you throw it all in and then you let the artificial intelligence have at it. Essentially. Effectively, yeah. I mean, you think about traditional, you know, um, you know, yeah, enterprise, you know, ETL process, and you can actually flip yeah. that around and think about doing the data transformation really at the end, at the point when it comes down to the, the, the sharpest end of the spear to knowing what's the exact question that I have on this data, yeah. rather than transforming it at some earlier point under some broader definition yeah. that may or may not be appropriate. And mm. I think there's an incredible power in that to be able to then get very specific yeah. on, on the question. That's a, well, that's actually a great way to think about it, too, because one of the few things I know about data analytics is that extract, uh, transact, load. And essentially, AI reverses it, where it's load, transact, extract. Ex- ex- yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's and, a and really cool way to think about fundamental it. Fundamental shifts. Yeah. I think what's really amazing, right, you think about all these paradigms, right, mm-hmm. that we've been limited by because of the technology capability, that completely, when the technology is there, it completely flips them upside down. Yes. All right. Well, we are unfortunately right at our 45-minute mark when I'm supposed to pull out of the artery here and, and stop stop asking you a bunch of questions. But I have to ask you one last one about uh, leadership lessons learned. You mentioned lessons a few moments ago, that whole balancing the competing demands on CIOs, which from my perspective, they just seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, what are some of the things you have learned over time about what that has made your CIO role so successful? I'll tell you, there's four things that I have on my uh-huh. list. I'm holding up five fingers. Um, uh, <laughs> and I only yeah. need three, so yeah. this is an extra. <laughs> so uh, for me, it mm-hmm. is courage. You need to have mm-hmm. the courage to lead the change. Empathy. Mm-hmm. You need to have the empathy as you're making those decisions to understand and think about people that are impacted mm-hmm. and understand what that means in first-order consequences, second-order, mm-hmm. and unintended. Third for me is reflection and that ability, and that really means about right reflecting and learning mm-hmm. from what's taken place. Um, and that's often one of the hardest pieces to get the capacity to reflect. Um, and so I have mm. to work hard at doing that, but recognizing it's it's one of the assets that strengthens everything else. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece is gratitude. Mm. And it's that ability to be be thankful uh, along the way. You know, we just this uh, this past weekend, our team went through a massive uh, upgrade on our electronic health record platform to the latest version, um, mm. and you wouldn't know we went live. Really, and uh, and that's what's amazing. So we talk about this concept of really like we want our go lives to be boring. Mm-hmm. We like oh yeah, you just yeah. did that. We just did that. We oh. just did that, and so. Um, you know, thinking about the, all of those components together mm-hmm. um, and instilling that in your team and your organization and expectations of others. So, so we think a lot about, you know, values and behaviors. 
And as a health system, we did something bold. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, for us, our thesis is a, for us is that we serve together in excellence and love. And we mm. built an operating system that's based on those. That's excellent. I really like that. You must not have any kind of a, when you need to have a kind of a mission-based um, approach to how you recruit talent it, that must that piece must be easy i know it's never easy to find the great talent but well it's nice mm-hmm. the the line is shorter between work and meaning yes. when you're when you're in the space when it's when you're doing a public good and that's okay. very powerful all right beautifully said thank you so much thank again you for, having for being me. here and again thank you to your team as well thank yes you. you're all you're always welcome and i'll be seeing you next month at our cio 100 when we when we induct you into the cio hall of fame i'm looking forward to it yes, thank you so me much too. all right if you joined us late uh do not despair you can watch the full episode later today on cio.com or our youtube channel And you can also listen to my conversation with Randy as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please plan on joining me for our next episode. It will be about a month from now, Thursday, August 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern, when I'll be joined by Scott Blanford, who is the Chief Digital Officer at TIAA. And please subscribe while you're at it to our YouTube channel, which is called IDG Tech Talk. You can find all the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live on there as well. Thanks so much for joining us today. Take care, and we'll see you soon.